Well, it's one thing for your voice to be heard. It's quite another thing for your voice to be listened to. To be heard, you can use humor, you can tell an anecdote, you can shout, you can curse, you can break stuff. Yeah, for those of us who live in this neighborhood, we certainly heard the protesters slash rioters on Monday evening. They made a lot of noise. But for all their protest, anger, and destruction, was anyone listening? 246 years ago, there was another group of protesters. No taxation without representation. They quipped. They were heard, but the world was also listening. They weren't merely venting their anger. Sure, they were angry, but they channeled their anger. They were thoughtful, courageous, made sacrifices. You know, the Declaration of Independence was carefully crafted for the sake of the rights of others. And even today, these words that were self-evident are still self-evident. 246 years later, these words are still being listened to. The Declaration of Independence made a significant difference in our modern world, and we should be thankful. We should be thankful for those who fought, not just to be heard, but for those who did the hard work to be worthy, to be listened to. There are many voices crying out to be heard today, but there's one voice we must not reject and that we must listen to above all others. It's a voice that often comes as a soft whisper, but this voice won't speak in a soft whisper forever. So let's listen to what this voice has to say. I'd encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 25 to 29. Hebrews 12, 25 through 29. I'd encourage you to, you, if you didn't bring a Bible with you today, I'd encourage you to use the black pew Bibles that we've provided and the pews and the chairs in front of you. And you can find Hebrews 12 on page 1069, page 1069, 1069. Let's listen So what God has to say to us today in Hebrews 12, verse 25. See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it we may serve God acceptably 
with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Even with powerful words like that, if we're honest, it would be easy to dismiss this word today. It'd be easy for us to dismiss this word today. It's not as boisterous as a riot. It's not as immediately interesting as political controversy or commentary. But this text tells us that we are in great danger if we don't listen to this voice. If we don't listen to the voice that warns and promises. Well, friends, we've come to an end of our little sermon series in the book of Hebrews and the warning passages of Hebrews. This book, just as a way of reminder, was written to Jewish Christians in the first century who were growing faint in their faith. Why were they growing faint? Well, in part, they were being persecuted because of their allegiance to Christ. Some of them were being thrown in prison because of their allegiance to Christ. Some of them were having their property confiscated. You can read about that in chapter 10. So, they were being tempted because of the heat on them to go back to what was more familiar, what was respected in the culture that they lived in. And that was a really old religion, Judaism. They were tempted to give up on Jesus, this whole Jesus thing, and go back to what they knew. But this letter, Hebrews, which is really a sermon, and it says it's a short sermon, by the way, in chapter 13, urges God's people, don't give up. Don't let go of Jesus. And the book as a whole is punctuated throughout with five warnings for Christians of the consequences of what would happen if they were to abandon Christ, their hope. This morning, we're coming to the concluding warning, the last warning of the book in Hebrews chapter 12. So let's together look at our Bibles and ask God to help us listen. And I'm just going to lead us in a brief prayer and ask the Lord to help us listen to his word. Heavenly Father, we do praise you as the God who has spoken to to us. And we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we might receive your word, that we might not just hear it, but listen, pay attention, and not drift from the word of salvation that you have spoken in your son. Lord, we recognize that without your help, we will be distracted by our phones, by the things, all the things that are going on in our lives. So help us to, to listen to the most important message that we need to hear today, and that is your voice speaking to us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So friends, why should we listen to this message that was written almost 2,000 years ago? Well, if we reject the voice that speaks to us from heaven, we will not escape judgment from our God who's a consuming fire. That's not the main idea, but I am going to say it again. Well, if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven, we will not escape judgment from the God who is a consuming fire. Here's my main idea. We must listen up before the shakeup. We must listen up before the shakeup. First, so we're going to consider how we must listen. First, we must listen in fear. And second, we must listen in gratitude. So listen in fear, listen in gratitude. Those are my two points to kind of organize our thoughts as we walk through this text. And I will warn you that the first point is almost twice as long as the second. So first, listen in fear, 
Uh, this is from verses 25 through 27. Look at verse 25 again. What does 25 say? See to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. It's kind of the, the warning right up front. And I, I find it interesting that uh, this is how the final warning begins. It might remind you of the, the first warning that we considered in Hebrews 2, verse 1. You can compare both passages, a lot of overlap. But this is not only a, a throwback to chapter 2. This is like one of the big themes in the whole book. Um, and as the author of Hebrews is concluding his argument, which is concluding here in this last paragraph, chapter 13 is like an epilogue, he's bringing it all home. He's bringing his argument home, not just for the warnings, but for the whole book. And uh, the big theme is God, our God is a God who speaks. Do you remember how Hebrews 1, 1 begins? Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. In his son, Jesus Christ. God has spoken in the person of his son, and God's voice therefore calls us to listen to Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Listen to Jesus. But God's voice didn't immediately begin with Jesus. Uh, we don't open up to Genesis 1, and it immediately is talking all about Jesus. The prologue for God's big announcement, his final and definitive word in the person of his son, the backdrop for that about his son is seen particularly at Mount Sinai. Before God spoke in the revelation of his son, God spoke a thing or two in the law of Moses. Literally, God spoke in the Ten Commandments, like the Ten Words. That's what Ten Commandments are. And what was that like? What was that like for God's people to receive the Ten Commandments, to hear God speak? It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Blazing fire, gloom, storm, the blast of a trumpet, the sound of words, the power of God's voice speaking to us is more powerful and unlike anything we have ever experienced. You know, just think for a minute of maybe one of the most powerful uh, experiences of your life, maybe in nature, you know, in God's creation. Think, think for a second, one of, one of the more powerful experiences uh, that you have experienced. And uh, I, I couldn't help but think of just last year, just something recently, Matthew Cunningham and I were flying back at night from Chicago, and uh, there was a storm, there was a lightning storm. And we saw the, the clouds around us being just lit up with the lightning. And then it stopped, and you could see the Milky Way. It was powerful. It was something else. But what is a million times more powerful than lightning, an earthquake, or your most powerful experience in, in God's creation is the God who made us speaking to us, his voice. What happens when God speaks? Well, when he speaks, it's like an earthquake. Isn't that what we see in verse 26? Look at verse 26. His voice shook the earth at that time. Again, that's referring back to Sinai. You know, we know that because if you look up at uh, verses 18 through 21, you see that our author is using the terrifying experience of God speaking to Moses and his people at Sinai to set up something even more groundbreaking. So Sinai is like a setup. It's a preview. You, you thought it was crazy scary? 
When God came down on the mountain in a storm, in the gloom, in the fire at Sinai, he says, well, when I speak again, look at the rest of verse 26 and 27, his voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression yet once more indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things so that what is not shaken might remain. A greater shakeup is coming. This time it won't just be the earth that shakes near Mount Sinai, but the earth and the heavens. What that means is like the whole cosmos, all of the created order, the planets, all that God created will be in one sense removed in judgment to get ready to make way for the new creation. The old will go away to make way for the new. Verse 26, you might see or or remember from when Amber read earlier, verse 26 is a quote from Haggai 2, where the Lord promised to judge the nations and fill his temple with his end time glory, or fill the end time temple with his glory. This is a cosmic coming earthquake of when God's going to do this, when he's going to fill that his presence is going to fill the new creation. You know, as we think about these things, as we think about God's judgment and his glory and the power of his voice, uh, we recognize that the earth, the earth cannot hold the weight of God's word. The earth cannot hold the weight of God's word. And yet it turns out that God's word rested too lightly on his people Israel. They rejected God and his word. Their lives proved it. And so they did not escape God's judgment. They fell in the wilderness for rejecting God's word, his voice. But it isn't just them. Listen to what David Wells wrote in his book, God in the Wasteland. The fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. His truth is too distant. His grace is too ordinary. His judgment is too benign. His gospel is too easy. And his Christ is too small and common. What happened to Israel just like last week, is meant to serve as a warning for us today. The earthquake at Mount Sinai has got nothing on the cosmic shakeup that's coming of God's judgment. You know, maybe a message about God's judgment was not what you were feeling like you needed today or not what you were expecting after this last week. You're like, man, I could have really used a sermon on God's love. Well, again, I just want to quote David Wells. We often think that Christianity is only about feeling better about ourselves, about leaping over our difficulties, about being more satisfied, about having better relationships, about getting on with our mothers-in-law, 
about understanding teenage rebellion, about coping with our unreasonable bosses, about finding greater sexual satisfaction, about getting rich, about receiving our own private miracles, and much else besides. Isn't that how we often hope to use, use God for our purposes? And so when we read a passage like this, it doesn't sit well with us. Maybe it even offends us. In fact, I think in our therapeutic culture, the warnings feel like judgment. The warnings feel like judgment. They're harsh. They suggest that we need correction. They injure our pride. The warnings even seem to shame us. You know, there was a a couple that I knew who were serving as foster parents. And a social worker, the social worker came to pay them a visit to check in how things were going with the child that they were fostering. Uh, and the social worker wanted to know, um, like, what, like, they, they, he, the social worker gave a scenario. What would you do if the child were to wander dangerously close to the street and go out into traffic? What would you do? And, and the couple just said, well, we would warn the child. We would say, no, sternly, like, come back. Come, come away from the street. Come back to mom and dad. The social worker didn't like that. Social worker said, hmm, no, don't say no. Uh, that, that's a little harsh. Don't tell your child no. Instead, maybe distract the child with a red ball to keep them away from danger. I thought that was so indicative of our age. We don't want to be told, watch out. I don't like it when People get stern with us when they say no. We want a red ball. And yet God comes to us in this text this morning like a parent in love, and he warns us for our good. He tells us of this potential danger that we're facing. Sometimes we need more than a red ball. Sometimes we need to be shook up in fear so that we might listen and escape danger. You know, I think this is instructive to how we read our Bibles and even interact in the church. Do you believe that the Lord disciplines his children? That he warns us for our good? You know, if, if you don't think, oh, God wouldn't discipline his children, I challenge you to just read up earlier in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 Earlier in the chapter, it says, They, earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me just speak to Henson for a minute. Henson, I know that many of us were uncomfortable with the action that we took of church discipline last Sunday. But as I reflected on that time with you all, in light of this text, it became clear to me church discipline is never finally punitive. Church discipline is never finally punitive. It's not final judgment. I think that distinction is important. Church discipline is a warning that the one caught in sin might listen 
and fear, and that the rest of us might also listen in fear. Do warnings feel good? Do we like to receive warnings? Of course not. That's what Hebrews 12 says. No, it doesn't feel good at the time. But sometimes they're exactly what we need so that we might pay attention to the voice that shakes the earth and that will one day shake the earth in final judgment. So how does God's word need to shake you up today? How does God's word need to shake you up today? Is there an area of your life that you are resistant to warning, to correction? Would you become offended if someone in this church who loves you, who wants your eternal best, warned you of because they saw in your life an inordinate love for money or some other idolatry, that if they called you out on your pride or selfishness or your soft, too soft or too harsh parenting, your lack of gentleness or respect for your spouse. If someone in this church called you out in love because of your speech or your gossip or your lack of love for the church. You know, if someone were to warn me today, correct me, I know my first uh, reaction to a warning, hey, you're, you're, getting, you're getting dangerously close to the edge here. We see sin in your life. I know my first reaction would be to, to say, thank you. May I please have another? Because I'm a pastor and I'm so humble. <laughs> I have, uh, please, you got some more for me. Maybe we could get, start, start a line at the door. No, just like you, I, I don't like discipline. I don't like warnings. Uh, warnings shake us up. They don't feel good. Uh, I, my first, my knee-jerk reaction to a warning is to defend myself because I value myself and my reputation. Who are you to warn me? You don't, you don't know me. You don't know what it's like to be me. Um, and yet God is speaking in his word. Uh, God, God knows. And as the church speaks God's word to one another, uh, we can, we must pay attention God has spoken in his word to his church, and he speaks through the church as we love one another enough to confront one another with God's word. Well, this final warning here in Hebrews to not neglect the one who speaks brings us back to that first warning that we considered in Hebrews 2. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we've heard so that we will not drift away. Hebrews is saying, don't drift away from what you've heard. Pay attention. Judgment is coming. How will we escape if we neglect and finally abandon uh, and prove with our lives that we haven't been listening to God's word? We must not turn away from the one who lovingly but sternly warns us in his word. So, just to sum up this point, instead, we must turn towards the warning with a proper and a healthy fear. We listen to the voice that shakes us. We pay attention to the Spirit convicting us of how we're tuning out God's voice with distractions, and we ask for help, and we're thankful, right? We're thankful for the shakeup. 
we're thankful for the warning. For these warnings are meant to keep us to the end. They are God's means to keep us and persevere us so that we might inherit the salvation that's promised to us. And it's in light of these things that we turn more briefly to the second point. How must we listen in light of the coming shakeup? We must listen in gratitude. Look at verses 28 and 29. You know, as well, as I was just saying, um, think of the last time maybe you were warned or corrected. Someone talked maybe sternly to you, maybe uh, a spouse or a parent, a coach, a teacher. How did you respond? Did you say, thank you? That's great. I love this. Um, I think actually that should be our response if we see the danger of what we've been saved from. Gratitude should be the natural response uh, to, to warnings. You know, I'll just give you an illustration, uh, and, and some of you witnessed this, um, but uh, a, a few months ago, I ran a yellow slash red light while driving. Um, <laughs> right in front of a cop. <laughs> I could have easily gotten a ticket for that, easily. Uh, it was definitely red by the time I went through. But instead, the transit police gave me a warning. You know what I said to that cop? Thank you. That's what I felt, gratitude. I didn't dismiss her warning. I didn't say like, do you know who I am? <laughs> do you think just anyone would drive a 1998 Toyota Sienna minivan? <laughs> no, as the, as the kids who were in the car with me uh, could attest, I was humbled, but thankful. But we're not just talking about listening to the transit police, to a cop who has had mercy on us, even though we deserve a ticket. We're talking about God, who apart from the Son would be right. He would be just to condemn us for our rejection of his word, for our seeking to live our life independent from him and on our own terms. And so we just considered in the first point his kindness to warn us. Now we turn to the conclusion of this warning. And in many ways, this is the conclusion to the book of Hebrews. This is the conclusion to all the warnings. What should our response be to this warning of don't stop listening, believing, persevering, fearing, and now again, listening? What should our response be? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The warnings are not meant to paralyze us in fear. We just talked about a healthy fear that leads to listening, to paying attention. The warnings are not meant to make us introspective, wondering, oh, am I really a Christian? Did I really mean it when I prayed that prayer? No. As we've been considering, the author of Holy Scripture often includes himself in the warnings as someone who needs to be warned so that he may and we may persevere so that we might be saved. And now here in these last two verses of our passage, he puts himself alongside us as those who are receiving a kingdom. 
Friends, in Christ, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. We tend to emphasize the past tense for kind of our subjective assurance of salvation. Oh, yeah, I did that, got saved. But here, what's emphasized, here in this text, is the present, the present tense. How fitting, how fitting for Hebrews, how fitting for these warnings. You are receiving Christ's kingdom by faith as you hold on to Christ, as you listen to God's voice in Jesus Christ, as you pay attention, as you tether yourself to God's word. There's a great shakeup coming. Are you tethering yourself to God's word? Are you listening today? Don't let the present tense cause you to doubt or grow discouraged. Our confidence is not in the power of our faith, not in our strength to hold on. Our confidence is not in a decision that we once made in the past. It's in the power of what we are receiving. Do you see that in the text? What are we receiving? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. Christ's kingdom is the heavenly city, and we're not there yet. And yet we take part in the heavenly city today by faith. What does Hebrews 11 say about those who died in faith? They were thinking about where they came from, but now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. They confessed earlier that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. They hadn't received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance. They greeted them. This is what we're, our hope is in, friends. We take part in the heavenly city today by faith. We greet that city because that's our home. So we hold on to the word of the king until we reach that place. You know, one of the things that I am thankful for today is our culture's emphasis on gratitude. As gratitude is a good thing, you know, like gratitude journals, those are all the rage. There's some brain science that shows that those who express their thankfulness, their gratitude are happier and healthier, even just physically, which is, shouldn't be surprising to us. That's what we're made for, be thankful. But our God, who is a consuming fire, gives us someone to be thankful to, a person. And he shows us how to be thankful, what thankfulness looks like. Well, what characterizes our thankfulness to our God this God who speaks and the earth trembles is reverence, awe. And he, then he gives us uh, a picture of what a thankful life looks like. That's Hebrews 13. I challenge you this afternoon, read Hebrews 13. Take you 30 seconds. But think about what does it look like to serve God, this consuming fire acceptably with reverence and awe, with thankful hearts? Well, it looks like brotherly love hospitality, remembering those who are suffering, honoring marriage, 
keeping free of the love of money, obeying our leaders. Hebrews 13 is the thankful life. If you're a friend here today who is not a follower of Jesus, I'm sure you appreciate the emphasis on gratitude, on thankfulness. We all recognize that's a good thing. This morning, I'd invite you to listen with gratitude to the warning and invitation that comes from the voice of God. This is a God who is not like us. How I'd like to think of God and how you'd like to think of God in the end doesn't really matter. Because we want to listen to the God who is, who has spoken, not the God of our imagination, of our cultural sensibilities. To create God in our own image or picking and choosing based on our own life experiences is to shape him around our causes. That would mean that at the end of the day, we're basically just listening to ourselves more than to God. But God has spoken in his son. We don't get to receive the kingdom on our terms for our God's a consuming fire. So friend, who doesn't know Christ, we're so glad that you're here today to hear the best news ever. God's word doesn't sound like good news at first, but God's word calls you to die to yourself. God's voice calls you to stop living according to your own terms, to, to be who you were created to be, a child of the living God, to call the God who is a consuming fire, your God and our God. Now, living for, for money, for marriage, for family, for houses, for cars, for careers, for the environment is not what the kingdom of God is about. All those things will be shook up. When Jesus announced the kingdom of God, he said, repent and turn and believe the good news. The good news about the king who suffered and died in your place. When he was raised up on the cross, the earth literally trembled. There is an earthquake because he was paying the penalty for your sin and my sin if you would turn from your pride and trust in Christ. The earth quaked again on the third day when Jesus rose from the dead, almost with labor pains, preparing for the new creation as he is the first fruits of the new creation. So Henson, finally, Let's look forward to the arrival of our king. He's coming. Soon our faith will become sight. We will see the king in his beauty. We won't have to be told again and again every day, don't give up, press on, keep running, because we will have arrived. There will be no more need for faith because our faith will turn to sight. We will see him as he is. And our God, our God, the consuming fire will burn up all that belongs to this broken age. All that is cursed, pain, sorrow, frustration, death will melt away. It will be consumed in God's holy and perfect justice. Now, the events of this last week have left many of us frustrated, the lack of justice, or scared. A lack of justice, threats on our safety, destruction at the hands of those who hate us, 
Not to mention just disagreement in the church, bitterness, fights in our families, illness, depression. There are many reasons to lose hope. There are many reasons to be afraid. But hear this from God's word this morning. A big shakeup is coming. So listen to a better word. Listen to a better word than what you see and feel. Desire with us. This is why we gather, because together we are desiring a better place, a heavenly one. And let's have faith in our God who is a consuming fire. He will not delay forever. He will come in justice and mercy. So are you listening? Let's listen with holy fear and holy gratitude to the one who promises to hold us fast in Christ. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. So, Father, as a church, we pray that we would lay aside every hindrance, the sin that so easily ensnares us, and that we would run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on your Son, Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. Lord, we praise you and thank you that for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Father, we come now in the name of our advocate and great high priest, whose blood speaks a better word. Lord, we come not in our own righteousness, not in our own strength, but we come in the name of your son. And Lord, we we thank you for the down payment we have, uh, that we will inherit the heavenly city because of what Christ has done. So help us to watch ourselves, to pay attention, to watch out for one another. Oh Lord, your word is truth. And we pray that we would hang on today in light of that great day. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.